welcome to Surf Stuff, a Beach Boys podcast safari. I'm Mark Dillon, author of 50 Sides of the Beach Boys, and I'm here today with my partner, Phil Migliorati, who runs the Pray for Surf blog. Hello, Phil. Hello, Mark. Good to talk to you again. And as we're getting started here, I'm thinking, you know, our listeners know you well as a, a Beach Boy uh, commentator, critic, expert, but I'm beginning to, to know you as uh, someone beyond that. You're a film and TV journalist. You're kind of all over the media map. Uh, how would people find out more about you? How would they connect with what you're saying in other fields other than the Beach Boys? Well, I'm pretty active on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Twitter, my handle is uh, Mark G. Dillon. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm based here in Toronto, so I write a lot about the Canadian film and TV industry. And I also do some stuff on the Hollywood side for American Cinematographer, which is uh, Hollywood's longest-running magazine. And uh, I just wrote uh, a big feature on the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die. And uh, it's coming out... Uh, later this month. We're in March right now. And, uh, of course, the movie has now been pushed back to fall because of the coronavirus. So uh, we'll be getting out there oh. pretty early on, pretty far in advance with uh, information about this new movie. So if you want to uh, satiate your James Bond love for the next few months, uh, you might want to check that out. Sounds good. Now, getting back to the Beach Boys, today Phil and I are talking about the Beach Boys' brilliant B-sides. And what is a B-side anyway? Because I imagine there are some younger uh, listeners out there who have no point of reference with B-sides. Um, so, Phil, you know, you tell me about your experiences uh, with buying 45 records. Well, yeah, back in the Stone Age, uh, or, or maybe I should say back in the record store age, in the time where you would walk into a record store and look through the racks of all these singles. They'd even have record turntables uh, uh, to uh, play them and listen to them. If you, you know, you want to see what, uh, what the song sounds like, if you're not sure you want to buy it. Um, but obviously uh, the the top side, the A side, the single that's being released and they hope, you know, reaches the hot 100. Uh, there's a backside, bottom side, flip side to that. And, I would say, boy, 99.89% of the singles released in the history of, you know, the mid-50s to the late 60s, that's just a guess on my part, but that the, the, almost all of them, the, the B-sides were just throwaways. Um, nobody really paying much attention to it. They didn't want to waste a good song on it because the DJs weren't going to flip it over. Uh, and so with the Beach Boys, though, and maybe the only other group, I'll, I'll be interested in your feedback on this, but maybe the only other group that had any B-side hits uh, on any regularity were, of course, the Beatles. And so the question as we look at this list of the Beach Boys songs is, uh, uh, were these meant to be, you know, so-called so throwaway songs? Are there any throwaway Beach Boys songs? So I'm I'm just interested as we dive into this to to see what uh, what you think about uh, some of these B sides. But back in the day, um, you, the other records that I bought, I probably listened to the B side maybe not even once. You know, maybe for a few bars in the introduction or something like that. So uh, Beach Boys have a kind of a unique history on uh, their brilliant B sides. It is interesting that, uh, you know, in the consumer and probably in, in the DJ as well, that there always was some reluctance to, to flip over that record. Um, 
so the 45 RPM, 45 revolutions per minute single, uh, first came out in 1949, and this replaced the 78, so there were technological improvements made. Um, and then in the 1950s, so you would get singles that were released uh, double-sided, um, but without really much attention paid to what was on the A side or the B side. I don't think the delineation was was very strong at that point. I mean, for example, Elvis had Hound Dog and Don't Be Cruel, you know, on the same record, uh, A side and B side, but I mean, obviously both big hits. Um so I don't think it made it made much difference in the industry at that time. I think it was really in the early 1960s and that coincides with the rise of the Beach Boys that there was a lot of pressure to get a hit single, like one hit single out of a record. So yes, they would have usually, you know, one killer track on on the A side and then the B side, you know, would be there maybe just to make you stay on the A side. Um, You know, if we look at somebody like Phil Spector, who uh, was Brian's idol, you know, Brian's favorite record is Be My Baby by the Ronettes. And if you flip that one over, what you get is a pretty innocuous instrumental called Tedesco and Pittman, named after the uh, Wrecking Crew session guitarist Tommy Tedesco and, and Bill Pittman. <laughs> so, I mean, apparently, yeah. you know, Phil Spector would do this kind of thing often, and, and these things would be done really on the spot. And, and it was part of Phil Spector's strategy to keep people focused uh, on the A side. Um, I certainly bought some 45s as well. I mean, my record buying, I guess, started in the late 1970s. I had a few best of LPs. Uh, But then, you know, you'd hear something on the radio. And for me, I'm pretty sure the one that got me was Start Me Up by the Rolling Stones in 1981. Uh, I heard it, I think, on a jukebox, because of course, jukeboxes at that time were populated with 45 records. And the song blew me away. And I, I never really had any uh, the Stones didn't have much appeal to me before then, so I wasn't sure that I wanted to invest, you know, in the whole LP Tattoo You. So instead, I I went and bought uh, the 45, you know, which I played to death. And uh, you know, I, I I think I probably played it to the point where I got curious. Yeah, well, what, what's on the B side? And so I flipped it over, and it was a song called No Use in Crying, which was actually pretty good. So I thought, eh, you know, maybe maybe B sides are sometimes worthwhile, but. Uh, but to your point, I think the Beach Boys are, you know, in rarefied territory when it comes to B-sides because, yeah, some of their uh, B-sides are among their best songs of all time. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's a very interesting list. So why don't you start us off? Let's uh, see how far we can get. Sure. Um and just to sort of precede that, uh, you know, my book is called Fifty Sides of the Beach Boys. So, you know, it, it was to me a little bit of a play on words, obviously referencing the fact, you know, that they had these these singles, these forty fives. And I mean, the the book doesn't stick to that religiously. Like, it, you know, some of these songs are really just album cuts. But I, I did a quick count, and of the fifty songs that I talk about, thirteen of them were B side singles. So I think that speaks to and I and I let the people that I interviewed choose the song they wanted to talk about. So I think that speaks to, you know, how important some of these uh these B sides were in in the Beach Boys story. Uh do you know what their first B side was, Phil? Uh well I was at a Luau listening to Surface. So uh... <laughs> Yes, Luau written by uh Bruce Morgan. And I, I think they always had a, a special affinity for that song, the group uh 
even uh, even in later years. So Luau was uh, released with Surfing on the A-Side on the X and Candix labels. Yeah, I wish somebody could go back in time and ask these guys, what were they thinking when they made the choice of the B-Side? With Luau, was it, uh, at first I'm thinking, well, you know, they really only have one song in Surfing and, and, and you know, this Luau thing, why not? And it's Morgan's Kid or whatever. But when I look at the list of those, uh, you know, all the, the sessions they did with Hyde Morgan, um, I mean, Surf and Safari was in there, Surfer Girl. So my question to them would be, not that they knew the future. Of course, they couldn't know if, if this would even chart. But were they hoping to save some songs for a future uh, 45 release? Um, why would they pick Luau? Uh, neither of us know, but... Uh, I just think that's an interesting question. I wonder what would have here's here's where I'll end. I wonder what would have happened had they put Surf and Safari on the B side of that or Surfer Girl. Any thoughts? Well, probably best that they didn't bury those songs on the B side because, uh, of course, they became very popular A sides. Uh, right. I guess they just thought Surfing was was ready to go and uh, sort of establish the ethos of of the Beach Boys and and you know maybe it was the Morgan's choice because their son Bruce had written the song Luau to uh, to put it on. I mean it's a uh, it's a cute song. So of course the Beach Boys' breakthrough was uh, Surfing Safari in 1962, and it's a bit of a um, historical point of confusion as to what exactly was the A-side and the B-side, because uh, the common story is that Surf and Safari was on the A-side, and 409, you know, their first car song, was on the B-side. However, some of the biographers say that, in fact, 409 was the song that, you know, the record label was promoting. And it was only later on, perhaps in Detroit, where somebody decided to give the airtime to uh, Surf and Safari, and the rest is history. But, you know, I've, I've looked at photos of, of the actual single, and uh, there's no A or B that I can see on either side. So it's not clear, you know, if there was a real A side or B side uh, to this release. It really, I guess, came down to... Uh, you know, what was being pushed by the record label and what, what uh, DJs wanted to play. Well, you just made an interesting comment uh, when you said Detroit. Um, I'm assuming that you have some, maybe there's a historical reference to that, or were you just throwing that city out? No, I think they're um, in one of the trade magazines uh, back in 1962, there was mention of that. So, okay. yeah. Well, just what came to me when you said that was a bit of irony that uh, uh, it would take uh, a car town to tip the scale towards a surfing song. So that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's a very good kind, point. Kind of weird. Yeah, weird. I guess maybe, you know, I think Capitol Records might have had some concern about, yeah, is surfing really a very local thing? Like, do you have to be in a yeah. place with a coastline to, to care about a song about surfing? Whereas, you know, cars are national. So um, maybe, you know, the exotic nature of surfing it, it was really decided to be the hook. And I think that is definitely the case. I think, you know, the Beach Boys sang about something that not everybody in the country knew about or could experience, and I think that was a large part of their appeal. And if you look at what was, you know, released subsequently as their A-sides, surfing was definitely leading the way. 
Yeah, but it is interesting that uh, even if this was a mistake, I don't want well, in, in choosing, let's just say 409 was the B-side. It's interesting that from the very beginning, at least with Capital, when they're going national record label, uh, there's, you know, one side is surf, the other side is a, is a street song, car song. Uh, some of the stuff I've read, it's like, well, this, they really didn't, you know, until Little Deuce Coop about a year and a half later, uh, that, you know, they knew surfing was out of style, so now they're going to the car songs. But from their very first, you know, out of the gate, uh, and as you're saying, uh, there's maybe uh, some reasonable ambiguity as to if there was an A-side, at least from the point of view of capital. So uh, that dual nature of, you know, sand and street or, you know, surf and cars uh, was there from the from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, surf and safari went up to number 14 on the U.S. charts, 409, number 76. And, you know, then they followed up with uh, the, the single Ten Little Indians in County Fair, and that kind of bombed, you know, no surfing in there. Ten Little Indians only made it to number 49, so that was a step back. You know, so then they come out with a single Surfing USA with Shutdown on the B-side. And, you know, Surfing USA did gangbusters. It, it went to number three. It made them a nationally prominent group. Um, and so this is what they continued doing for uh, for part of 1963, surfing on the A-side, cars on the B-side. The next one was Surfer Girl and Little Deuce Coop. But uh, worth pointing out that in, in my book, I talked to Dennis Dyken, uh, drummer of the Smithereens, and uh, he talks about Shutdown. That's one of his absolute favorite Beach Boys songs. And he said he remembers uh, his father, I believe, taking him to the Woolworth, you know, back in 1963 yeah. and purchasing that uh, that single. And, you know, he was out there to get one of the songs. And when he turned it over and saw that, you know, you got Surfing USA and Shutdown on one record, it blew his mind. Like, what a, what a deal, he thought. <laughs> Two for one. Yeah. Uh, just to jump back. Uh, the Ten Little Indians backed with County Fair gets my award as the weakest slash worst two-sided pairing in the history of the Beach Boys. I mean, they've, they've had some that have tanked, and but but they're at least decent songs. I mean, uh, these are as close, to, my view, that these are as close to embar- embarrassing as, as as I think we can get. Maybe maybe we'll do a podcast uh, songs I'm embarrassed uh, to admit were Beach Boy songs, but uh, you know, County Fair was just you know just an okay thing but sadly looking back i mean the 10 little indians thing just has trouble on so many levels but uh it uh, you know 10 little indians went to 40 49 uh, which was higher than 409 but again 409 was not uh, an absolute declared a side that we know of anyway don't want to, to, to stay there long other than they went from uh capital went from brilliance to uh i'm not sure what but uh, they recouped with uh, the one we're talking about now, Surfing USA and Shutdown. I mean, maybe they were trying to branch out to see if they could get out of the surfing and car, you know, a yeah. trap, you know, thinking that maybe those things would run their course very quickly and, and could the group do something else. But uh, I think it just proved that, uh, you know, keep promoting them as first and foremost a surfing group and then with a secondary interest in cars and uh, you'll strike gold which they certainly did with the next single yeah well sadly this is a bit of foreshadowing i mean there's so many episodes where beach boys trying to reinvent themselves or to, to prove themselves to a different you know genre than now the album crowd or whatever you know in the late 60s and 70s and then for their hit history um they've just always had that 
what we would call I mean, an image problem. And yet the irony is that they had an image problem because their image was so amazing and, and made them, you know, famous and they're still going on 56 years later. So they, uh, they survived this stumble. Yeah, I mean, they didn't want to be called the Beach Boys. That wasn't their idea. You know, that was put upon them. And so anyway, when the Surfing USA single did so well, then the album followed later. And what did it say right on the front of the album? The number one surfing group in the country. So the die was cast for a little while anyway. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting that um, the next single, Surfer Girl, made it on the A-side. Um I mean, certainly one of the most beautiful songs Brian has ever written, but uh, to put a ballad on the A-side was new. Um, And to have Brian's lead vocal on the A-side was new. And, you know, I think the common belief is that, you know, Brian, maybe this is what he wanted on on the A-side and Capitol went along with him. But I think you could probably argue as well that, you know, Capital was sticking to the formula. In other words, Surfer Girl, Surfing Song on the A side, and uh, Little Deuce Coop on the B side. Yeah, when I looked over the chart, uh, I'm not sure how to word this, but it was the second most popular both sides. Uh, you know, in Chicago, they call it a two-sided hit or something like that. Uh, if you take the, the the total chart markings, and obviously right. the, the less number is better, uh, 22 total points between uh, charting number seven, Surfer Girl, and Little Deuce Coop at 15. So I don't know. It was a huge hit, a double-sided hit. I don't know in terms of number of units sold, but um, that that was a excellent choice of the two songs I put together. Probably in terms of uh, units sold, I wonder, uh, uh, I Get Around, Don't Worry Baby might be the biggest. Yeah, I don't have uh, stats on that. Um, it uh, it went gold anyway. I think that's yeah. the only single of theirs uh, that did. But what's interesting, I hadn't noticed this before, maybe it's obvious to everybody else but me, but, you know, uh, Surf and Safari backed with a, a car song. Surfing USA, backed with a car song. And then out of the gate, uh, their next one, car song, but that was the backside for Surfer Girl. So uh, they're staying true to that surf and street stuff. But that that would end, you know, at that point, pretty much. Right. Um, And then, you know, that that was the last we would hear, you know, of Brian on the A-side for a while, because then the formula became... Um, you know, you'd have a fast song sung by Mike on the A side, and then you'd have like the Brian Ballad on the B side. So that that sort of template replaced the the surfing car dichotomy. Yeah, good observation. So it's not just uh, is it a car song, is it a surf song, but it's uh, who's the lead and is it a you know fast or slow. So uh, I, I would love to have uh, been part of some of the discussions on this. Is the, you know, is the record company thinking this way? Uh, even at this early stage, do Brian and Mike just bring it in and say, this is what you're, you know, here it is. This is what you do. A side, B side. Um, uh, if we ever get a chance to talk to Mike, that, that would be an interesting question to know how that, that process worked. I, I bet you Brian bought into it. I think he, he valued Mike's vocals as being very commercial sounding. Um, and, you know, 
probably generally believe that, that fast songs were, uh, were the hit records. Did you want to talk about Fun, Fun, Fun and Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Just to, to, to almost ask the question, I mean, Why Do Fools Fall in Love did chart, 120 on the chart. Um, it's a great song. I just wondered if they thought it was, nothing's equal to Fun, 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 but I wondered if they thought it was, a, they were trying to put a good song or a strong contrast song or whether they felt like, well, you know, this, this was an album filler. Let's just put it on there. I mean, I have no way of knowing, but um, it, it did I, not really become a two-sided hit. I have a feeling that uh, that song means a lot to Brian. I mean, it's, uh, you know, a real Phil Spector production. You know, he was yeah. using the Wrecking Crew musicians on that one. It, it really is a, an, a, a pristine Spector-like production. Uh, and we discovered many years later this 30-second piano intro, which oh, probably never yes. never wow. would have made it on the radio, but it's very it's very cool to listen to now. Um, you know, and I think that that song, you know, uh, is very prominent on the uh, Shutdown Volume Two album, like on the cover, and I think it it leads off the the B side of that LP. Um, so yeah, I think I think Brian wanted to get it out there, uh, but probably felt, I mean, rightfully so, that it would not do better than Fun 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 on the charts. Yeah, and Fun 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 a great lead into uh, lead up to I Get Around. Well, I mean, this is really one of the best two-sided singles of all time. I mean, uh, both songs are rock solid. Both songs are in the conversation for uh, for best Beach Boys songs of all time. And uh, I, I have a quote uh, from Keith Richards. I don't know if you uh, you know about this quote he had about Brian. Not sure. Go ahead. So the, the Rolling Stones, my my other favorite group, um, had their first American tour in 1964. And uh, this was around the time where I Get Around was uh, topping the charts. And uh, when the Rolling Stones got back to England, they were asked by the press, like, what American music did you hear that you really liked? And Mick Jagger famously said, I Get Around. Um, so here's a quote from Keith Richards from his uh, his memoir, Life. Uh, round, round, get around, I get around. I thought that was brilliant. Brian Wilson had something. In my room, don't worry, baby. I was more interested in their B-sides, the ones he slipped in. There's no particular correlation with what we were doing, so I could just listen to it on another level. I thought these are very well-constructed songs. Uh, we didn't mention In My Room, but that is another one, uh, B-side of Be True to Your School, which is you know one of the great Brian Wilson ballads, and it charted as well, number 23. Not as high as Be True to Your School, which went to number six, but still uh, you know, another, another hit record and, and one that is a favorite yeah. of many fans. Well, I'm glad you took us back there. I, I just noticed the note that I took. I, uh, my little award uh, system here in my own brain is uh, in my room as the uh, B-side to be true to your school is the B-side that is better than the A-side um, as a song. Now, I love be true to your school, but uh, it would get my award as a B-side better than the A-side. Yeah, there there might be other examples of that, I'm sure, that other fans would uh would argue for right uh the uh the rolling stones response to i get around i think is i mean they, they drove cars too and so you know it it, it certainly related uh, across the board to more people than than the surf surfboard stuff would but also there's a swagger to that song that i think the rolling stones would uh would appreciate 
Well, and I think what's, what's interesting, I think the I Get Around Don't Worry Baby single crystallizes the two sides of the Beach Boys. Like, it's, it's right there. Like, as you say, I Get Around has swagger. You know, in my book, I even compare it to a rap song because a lot of rap songs are about, about swagger, you know, and, 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 and yeah. how, t- how tough you are, how cool you are. And I Get Around's a bit like that. But then, you know, Don't Worry Baby is like behind the bravado. There's a lot of insecurity. Like, here's a guy who's, uh, you know, been challenged to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, to a car race, but uh, he's worried, <laughs> he's worried about the whole thing, you know, and uh, it takes his, uh, his girlfriend to, uh, to uh, calm him down. So I think uh, there's something psychological. I think, I think that's the Beach Boys story. If you, if, you know, if you, gotta, if you have to hand somebody one single to explain the Beach Boys, go. this I think is the best, the best example. Very interesting, and you know, I somehow always uh, connect to the, the dot to uh, this other dot. Cassius Love versus Sonny Wilson. You um, love that one. You know, well, yeah, but the, <laughs> but the H I hear is uh, you know uh, the Mike Love swagger, if you will, and and the B side is uh, uh, Brian Wilson uh, insecurity. Certainly, as we talked in another uh, podcast. Uh, don't worry, baby. Uh, definitely a prequel to uh, the Pet Sounds uh, ethos. Absolutely, and so I mean, this this became, you know, um, this became the template for for the singles going forward. Like, if you look at uh what we have coming up as b-sides she knows me too well the warmth of the sun please let me wonder kiss me baby let him run wild i mean that those are consecutive b-sides and uh these are all among the most heartfelt you know beautiful brian wilson ballads i mean some of them achieved a little bit of chart success please let me wonder being uh the best example it got up to number 52 but uh you know if they're singing about dancing or whatever on the a side uh you know these these are all-time great uh beach boy songs we're we're also not including the four by the beach boys after when i grow up they put out uh wendy don't back down back with little honda hushabye I don't know that that really fits in the, the B-side thing. No one really knew what to do with that record when it came out anyway. Do you remember when it came out? Like that? Yeah, those are uh, that's what they call an EP, an extended yeah. play. So I guess two songs on, on each side, and that's a, that's a great little record right there. Oh, it is. I loved it when it came out. Obviously, you had the songs you know, from the LP, but um, I think the Beatles were, in England, they, they put out some EPs. I, I haven't check cross check to see timing if this was a follow up you know maybe trying to they may beatles may have had some success so they're trying to do the same thing with the beach boys i don't know but uh it was a one timer thing and uh, you know certainly made them some money but uh wendy went to 44 at least if this chart now can be that i'm looking at can be trusted uh in little honda 65 but uh uh, yeah, kind of an anomaly in this chronology. Yeah, it's interesting that they would they would put out basically half of the all summer long album. You know, <laughs> w- wouldn't they want people to buy the whole LP as a, like you know the singles usually give you a taste of the album, not not like half the album. Well, I want yeah again, what were they thinking? Um, and I wonder if this is maybe uh, I've never thought of this a precursor to greatest hits uh, like like. You know, when you're buying greatest hits, you're you're basically buying album, the album, the songs that have been on some album before, anyway. So I wonder if they're just looking to see what 
is there a niche of of listeners out there that maybe buy the single but not the album, but they'd buy an EP? And and so at least we get them buying that? I have no idea. Well, it's interesting to note that um, the the money was in the singles, really. Um, This held true, I think, until FM radio really rose. You know, we're talking, I guess, late 60s. Um, but until, until then, I mean, the, the sales were really focused on the singles. So, I mean, that, that's important to, to note that it was, the, you know, the money was, was very much about the, the hit song, the radio song, even though, you know, the Beatles and, and the Beach Boys and, and others became artistically more interested in the LP format, you know, and, and stretching things out. You know, Rubber Soul had no singles on it, but I mean, certainly those songs had got radio play, like Michelle, you know, was a huge radio song, even though technically not released as a single, but, uh, you know, the artists felt otherwise, but it also speaks to, you know, if you're making songs primarily for AM radio, you know, in that time they were, they were mono, you know, they were mixed in mono. It It wasn't really until again, FM radio, which did not want to play a mono recording. When it rose in the late 60s, all of a sudden, you know, you had to mix things to stereo. But, I mean, Brian always preferred mono anyway, and, of course, he's uh, mostly deaf in one ear, so it, it suited him better. But these, these are some of the some of the considerations that we probably uh, forget about in retrospect. Yeah, sometimes I, I'm wondering, are we giving them too much credit? Not to, not, not to knock any person who made these decisions, I it wouldn't surprise me if they said, oh, we just, you know, kind of flip a coin. Um, and maybe we're putting more thought into it than they did. But it's fun to think about. We're, yeah, it seems, it uh, seems there was to... a definite – sorry, go ahead. No, no. Yeah, I'm going to move this into helping around. Go ahead. Yeah, it seemed like there was definitely, you know, some very deliberate choices made up until – you know, a certain point, I guess, in the 1960s, like you could see the the rationale between putting yeah. like you know a fast song on the A side and a and a ballad on the B side. But uh, yes, help me, Rhonda, please. That's that's another great. Well, and, and that thing. shows what you just said. Help me, Rhonda, back with "Kiss Me, Baby." But we get into I think uh, five uh, r- releases in a row where the B side does not even chart. And again, I'm looking at a list that uh, maybe is is not completely accurate, but that's just interesting to me and. Like you said earlier, uh, "Kiss Me, Baby" and "Let Him Run Wild," the, the "Help Me, Rhonda" and the California Girls B-sides, amazing songs. And once you get away from top forty and you just start start listening to the songs because they're good music and not because they were hits, uh, you know they're amazing. I would say that "Let Him Run Wild" is the most egregious uh, ignoring of a B-side. Uh, Beach Boy record, at least until that point. Um, I think it was Beatlesque. It was all sorts of things that the top 40 buyers at that time, listeners at that time, would have really grabbed onto. Might have been a hit if if they didn't have hit California Girls. But uh, anyway, I'll let you talk. But we, you know, we get into some singles that uh, Little Girl I Was New follows. The B side doesn't chart. Barbara Ann, Girl Don't Tell Me. Girl, don't tell me doesn't chart. Sloop John B. You're so good to me. You're so good to me doesn't chart. Well, I and think. We uh, Brian, I mean, if we get back to let him run wild for a sec, I think you know the message that that sends is that you know the 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 audience 
is not as interested necessarily in introspection as it is in good times. You know, I mean, California yeah, Girls yeah. is, a, is a great kind of party song in a way. Um, Let Them Run Wild is, is something completely different. I mean, that's not to say that, that you know, people didn't accept that from the Beach Boys because we talk about In My Room and Don't Worry Baby having uh, having chart success, but maybe it just didn't always it wasn't always what they wanted, you know, and, and we've talked before about, you know, Barbara Ann outperforming the little girl I once knew, you know, sa- same kind yeah. of thing. And I mean, if if we look at Barbara Ann, you know, that's interesting because the B side, I think this is another case where the B side is better than the A side. Girl Don't Tell Me is a great song. And, you know, I, I have friends who are not particular Beach Boys fans, but when I play them that song, they're like, wow, I've never heard that song before. That's great, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's kind of unfortunate that it didn't get out there in in the public consciousness, you know, as a single. I think that could have been a really big hit. Totally agree. Letterman Wilde's "Girl Don't Tell Me" two uh, top tier songs. Keep it so, going. I mean, that brings us to the uh, the Pet Sounds era, um, and th- here's where things get interesting. Here's where Capitol Records is even in a in a greater dilemma as to, you know, what to put on the A side, what to put on the B side. So very interesting. I mean, not surprising that Wouldn't It Be Nice would be an A side single. I mean, we, we've jumped past Sloop John B with with the B side, You're So Good to Me. But um, Wouldn't It Be Nice is, is a, I mean, you listen to it, it's a hit record. There's no question. But I mean, then you have God Only Knows, which, you know, is at least as good in, in, in a totally different genre uh, and interestingly enough, in the UK, they did the opposite. They released God Only Knows as the A-side, and it went to number two, and uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice was on the B-side. But I guess in in the US, they thought, ah, the word God, you know, that's kind of different <laughs> to put in a, in, a, in a radio song. And, you know, it's a very kind of sad, you know, introspective tune. So let's let's stick with the happy one. And I mean, you know. I guess they were right to a large extent. Wouldn't it be nice? Got to number eight. God only knows. You know, some people call it the the best song of the 1960s. Uh, kind of shocking yeah. that it only made it to number 39. Maybe they could have held off and released that as as an A side in and of itself, as opposed to burying uh, it there. Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing run uh, uh, with uh, Wouldn't it be nice? God only knows, and then. Uh, not too far down the line, uh, Good Vibrations comes out, but but that is an interesting pairing, and it also is a maybe you already said this, but the you know somewhat of a upbeat versus uh, more of an introspective song. Uh, one of their best two two sided winners, as the DJs in Chicago would call it. If we look at uh, so Good Vibrations had the B side, they they just stuck the Pet Sounds instrumental, Let's Go Away for a while. So, I mean, I guess, you know, that's interesting. I think the point being made that here is Brian Wilson's, you know, recent experimental music. So I think I think that kind of works. Yeah, and just real quick, to bounce back, uh, it's not a Beach Boy release, but Caroline No also had, uh, you know, a, a Brian Wilson uh, instrumental as the B-side. Summer so Means to Love, was, right? Yeah, so maybe they were continuing on with that, either that idea of uh, showcasing the improved inner instrumentalism of, of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson, or maybe they thought of these as throwaways. Who knows? So if we look then at the Smile era, the, the Smile album that did not come out, interesting question. What would have been the A-sides and the B-sides had that album come out? 
I mean, good yeah. vibrations, obviously, but then what? Uh, um, I haven't thought about that. Very interesting. So, you know, know, there was the line of thought that had Heroes and Villains been released in a seven-minute version, that Brian would have done what James Brown and several other artists had done, and that would have been to divide the song into two. So you'd have Heroes and Villains Part 1 on the A side and Heroes and Villains Part 2 on the B side, which is kind of weird. The idea that in the middle of a song, you have to, you know, run up to your record player, you know, flip it over and then, and then put the needle down one more time. But that's the way it was uh, for, for some singles in those days. Now, when I interviewed Alan Boyd, who has produced, you know, many of the, of the archival reissues um, in recent years, he said that Brian told him that the plan was not to do that. Although there had been a lot of talk, Chuck Britz, Brian's engineer, had said back in the day that that was the plan. Brian denied it around the time that he resurrected Smile in 2004. But if you look at the Smile Sessions box set, they do have Heroes and Villains Part 1 and Heroes and Villains Part 2 tracks. So I don't know this for a fact, but what that seems to tell me is that Alan Boyd and his partner, Mark Lynette, still believe that there was to be Heroes and Villains Part Mm -hmm. 1 and Part 2. I I think uh, uh, part one, part two could have uh, taken, I don't know, something could have brought in some of the public that was upset that uh, Smiley Smile came out and not Smile. I, I think it might have drawn some interest. Uh, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Who knows? But one comment about the song they did put there, I I think that um, let's go. Uh, you know, you're, you're welcome is. Uh, just a amazing it's it's a wonderfully quirky song and uh at least some people got a little bit of sense of uh, you know what they might have heard had the, the fuller palette of the smile come out yeah we don't know whether or not that would have been on uh on the finished smile album but yeah that that, that was a genuine right. taste of what Brian was doing in the smile era and that was the only taste that people had you know, aside from the re-recorded stuff and, and little segments that, that made their way into finished songs, that was the only sort of complete smile track that was available for uh, for a couple of years anyway. Yeah. I, I don't well, think there's much uh, significant until we get to 1968, unless there was anything else in between you wanted to talk about. Uh, no, I to- totally agree with you. Sadly, uh, the the excellent songs that they were releasing were just being ignored. And uh, thankfully, decades later, uh, people listened to them as great music rather than did it reach the top 40 or not. But uh, do it again. Uh, They did it again. So take us into it. Well, I think the, the most interesting thing to me about the Beach Boys direction in the late 60s was the emergence of Dennis Wilson as uh, as a, an artistic force. And so then all of a sudden it became, you know, you had sort of like a a, a Brian-produced track or, or something that sounded like a Brian-produced track on the A side, and then all of a sudden Dennis Wilson's compositions would be on the B side. So when the Friends yeah. single came out in 1968, we had the first Dennis Wilson uh, song to be released, Little Bird, uh, which is great. And I mean, this uh, this continued. I mean, Never Learn Not to Love, All I Want to Do, 
celebrate the news, it's about time, forever, cuddle up, only with you. Uh, these were all B-sides. And I can't help but think in some of these cases that they should have flipped these records around. Like I think Dennis's stuff <laughs> yeah. was was edgier, more contemporary, and, and, and could have taken the group, you know, could have changed perceptions about the group and maybe even changed their direction, you know, and, and maybe made Dennis a happier person, <laughs> you know, that, that, that well, the true. talents were, were being recognized. But, I, I mean, I think that sort of crashed when they tried to put Slip On Through off Sunflower. People are like, Sunflower, what a great album. How come this album did not sell, you know? And, and the second single was Dennis's Slip On Through, which is a great record, and it did nothing. So I guess they figured, well, no, Dennis isn't, isn't, isn't our magical solution. So, you know, you had these songs languishing on B-sides, and not not well known by the public, but these to me are as exciting as, as anything else uh, in the Beach Boys canon. In particular, Celebrate the News, I think is a fantastic production. Um, Breakaway is great, uh, but I don't know. Celebrate the News means more to me. I think uh, that could have blown people away if, uh, if that had been released as a single in 1969. And plus, those songs did not make it onto an album you know, at that time, because they were supposed to be part right. of the last Capitol release that the the group was doing, and they they held on to a bunch of those songs for their move uh, when they switched record labels, um, and then Capitol put out the Live in London uh, LP instead. But uh, so yeah, celebrate the news uh was nowhere to be found unless you had this obscure single from 1969 uh and then it appeared on the Beach Boys Rarities uh release in the in the early 1980s you know so this was the start of people realizing that there was a lot of interesting stuff that sort of been had been left by the wayside in the Beach Boys career it's an interesting time period um you know starting with do it again uh i wrote an article years ago for endless summer quarterly looking at the the, the last singles uh, in that uh, contract of theirs. And it's interesting how every, it's like, at least from my perspective, everybody got one. You know, you got called Do It Again Mike's uh, single. Of course, it, you know, uh, was a, a very popular top 20. Uh, Bruce with uh, Bluebirds Over the Mountain um, did not do well. And there's lots of reasons for that. Uh, just the song itself and maybe what, the way the things didn't get highlighted, whatever. Uh, you got Carl with uh, I Can Hear Music. Um, Brian did Breakaway, which I think is uh, uh, maybe a not-so-subtle message of needing to not just break away their contract with Capital, but maybe Brian saying, I'd like to break away from you know, the, the, the controlling ties of the Beach Boys. You've got uh, cotton fields that Alan came up with and came out with. And uh, of course now you, and what led me to that is where I'm at here now with Dennis, though uh, it, they didn't lead with one of his, celebrate the news and uh, a lot of B-side stuff. So it was interesting how suddenly uh, everyone's kind of stepping up to the mic and getting their turn and spotlight on them. And it wasn't a time when any of these were huge hits. Mike's, if I, if I can call it Mike's, you know, do it again was the best. I think Brian had a little bit to do with it. Uh, what, what are you saying? I, I, I would say it? Brian had a little bit to do with do it again. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. But uh, certainly, uh, in order to write the article, I had to say that was Mike's single. But uh, I totally agree with you. 
but it's an interesting time period. And so, again, some great music. And uh, again, once we get stripped out from uh, the top 40, you just listen to them as great songs, not uh, flops on the top 40. Um, I, I never bought any Beach Boys singles you know, in the day, because, you know, I really started in, in the 80s, and I, I wasn't so big under their current stuff at, at that time. Um, but then later on, I would go to record shows, and I'd look for the old singles. So, you know, I picked up a few, like I, I have uh, the I Can Hear Music and, and Bluebirds Over the Mountain uh, yeah. 45s. And I mean, okay, so what's interesting about the Bluebird single, of course, Never Learn Not to Love, is on the B-side. So first of all, the Beach Boys put Charles Manson you know, on the charts in the 1960s, because that song is uh, a rewrite of uh, of his songs, Cease to Exist. And that was, you know, before the Manson murders. So that's a, that's a, a fascinating bit of history. But uh, as I recall, and, you know, my record player is currently broken, so I haven't I haven't listened to it in a while. But the, the single version of Never Learn Not to Love is different from the album version in that it starts right away with the vocal. Like, as you may recall, the album version has a 30-second uh, sound effect at the beginning, this kind of rising sound effect, Yeah. which we now know is uh, part of a recording that Dennis did called The Gong around that time. So essentially, I guess uh, they're, they're striking a gong, and then uh, Stephen Desper is working his engineering magic by like playing it in reverse. So it's a very ominous, I mean, the whole song is ominous. The lyrics are ominous, oh, yeah. the sound is ominous. So, I mean, you know, it, I think it captures a bit of the Manson uh, mystique or whatever you want to call it. But um, but anyway, so yeah, so sometimes uh, the singles are, are different edits from uh, from what we hear on the album. Yeah, uh, your comments about that Manson song. I mean, when I remember first hearing it and thinking how foreboding this sounds. I mean, just in a non... Just listening to it as music was uh, was an interesting experience. But then, when you uh, get a little hindsight as to who wrote it and what uh, what kind of cultic message he was trying to get across, anyway, uh, it's kind of a scary thing. It's interesting that any uh, others surf- from here. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's interesting that um, the Surf's Up album, for all the great press that it got and 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 the the good sales that it got, did not yield a hit single. I mean, Long Promise Road is a great record. They released it so great they released it twice, uh, but it uh, <laughs> yeah. only managed to get to number eighty nine, which is not so impressive. Um, you know, and then they followed that up by releasing "Surfs Up" as an A side. Now, like "Surfs Up," what a song, right? I mean, you know, some people oh, would yeah. argue that's Brian's greatest song, but probably not radio friendly. I mean, four minutes and eleven seconds or whatever it is, the song. I don't know, but uh, the B side was "Don't Go Near the Water." I think in hindsight that that might have made a better a better A side, but uh... that's a that's a good uh, good insight, Mark. Um, I agree. Uh, you know, I remember again hearing "Don't Go Near the Water" playing that album, and uh, it it really jumped out to me. I just thought this is a great song. It, it's uh, kind of upbeat. It's very uh, ecologically minded. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Should have been A side. Um, yeah, I guess not, not much we need to talk about in the, in the mid seventies, but I think uh, getting back to the, the Dennis situation. So in 1979, they, they put out the uh, notorious disco version of here comes the night. Uh, I mean, the album cut is I think 11 minutes long and then the single cut was four minutes and, and a few seconds long. And a lot of 
people might be surprised to be reminded that uh, it actually charted and went to number 44, despite quite a strong <laughs> backlash from <laughs> from the hardcore fans. Uh, nonetheless, on, on the B side of that was Baby Blue by Dennis, uh, probably his last great contribution. Um, and, you know, again, I wonder, in retrospect, I think that would have made a better A side, but yet again, Dennis... Uh, relegated to the B. Yeah, and if it weren't for that, we probably wouldn't have this podcast to do. But uh, again, forgive the broken record, no pun intended, uh, from me, just glad that these songs are now freed from, you know, their their charting position. They're just good to listen to. Absolutely. Uh, you're right. I mean, nowadays, everything is just uh, something you can click on and listen to, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, I think in terms of how it shapes the group's popularity, the audience perception, and their artistic direction, you know, it, it was an important political decision as to what you would release as a single and what you would put on the A side and what you would put on the B side. It's always uh, fun to chat with you on this stuff and uh, think about uh, some of the greatest music of all time. Thanks. I'm going to go get my turntable fixed and I'm going to put on some of those uh, some of those singles that I bought at record shows all those years ago. Sounds and I'm going to flip them over. Let's do it again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, goodbye from Mark and Phil. <laughs>